Well, good afternoon and thank you once again for joining me today for Business, the Law and You. Julian Campbell here. We've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. A bit later in the program, we'll have a look at one of our Harvard Business Review tips. This particular one is challenge yourself even during downtime. We'll also be having our chat with Christina, our weekly chat with her, and we're going to be looking at creativity in your business. But right now, we're going to have a chat with Lyndall Fogarty, who is a human relations expert with the Family Business Australia. We're going to be talking about family values and business success. Good afternoon, Lyndall. Hi, Julian. Thank you very much for joining us and jumping in at the last minute. Uh, so the, the term f- family values is thrown around a lot in business. Statements like, mm. it's like a family around here, or we want people in our business that treat it like it's their own and they're part of the family. But what does this really mean? Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's a great question. And, and in my experience, I, I often wonder whether when people are using those terms, whether they really understand what it is that they're saying. Um, but I think overall, people use the term with affection. So mm. the intent is to demonstrate that they care about the employee as a person, not just, not just as an employee, someone that is getting paid to do a job or even as a volunteer. Um, and I think that that intent is, is a great thing. But when we, when we use it in the context of family, um, the risk that we run is that not everyone's experience of family is positive, I mm, guess, and mm. that their, their experience is that their family is inclusive, um, that their family empowers them, or that their family actually actually care um, is the brutal truth. So the term family values is it, it just needs to be explained. Well, so well, it's an organised. How about you do that? Sorry. Give it, give us a, a summary of family values. Yeah, well, Julian, the the intent behind. Treat it like it's your own. Whereas family around here, it's all about we want you to care about what you do, and we care about you as a person. Um, but with that, we an organisation needs to explain what it is that that they expect because what you don't want is is ambiguity and for somebody to think they're operating like they're treating this organisation as it's their own, but not doing things in the way that is expected. And that articulation of what's expected is so imperative to, to de-risk ambiguity. And so, so when we talk about family values, you know, it's, it's an opportunity for an organisation to, to spell out what that means. And that could be value statements like, um, we care about each other. We care about our clients. Um, we do things with passion. It could be statements like that. Mm-hmm. And so one, one organization and what they mean by being, having family values is not necessarily the same. And it's never this, exactly mm-hmm. the same mm-hmm. as what another organization means. So, so how is the notion of family values and business success linked? Well, Julian, when, when the whole person is valued, 
So not only their skills and abilities in terms of what they're employed to do, but the way that they do it, then that their people take an interest in their their life. Um, a business is more successful because humans want to feel connected, mm. and if they they believe that they're in a, an environment where they're respected, they're treated well, and people genuinely care about what they got up to on the weekend, what's what's happening with their children, how they went in the netball game, which is which is where I spend my sad days, <laughs> um, then you you naturally create stronger, healthier connections mm. in in workplaces. And when people feel when they want to come to work, businesses are more successful. That that's um, that's been uh, metrically proven that higher levels of employee engagement, so where, where people know what's expected of them and they're fully on board with that, mm. higher commercial outcomes. And that, that's still, whether they be dollar commercial outcomes, uh, Julian, or in the for-purpose organisations that are not there to, to make commercial returns, but their motivators are different, it's the same Thing. They, they are more likely to get higher quality outcomes. So, um, so when does a business know that it's got it right? Oh, that is super simple. Not easy to do, but, but the answer is, is super simple because what they expect is what they get. That's, that's when they know that they've got it right. Mm. Um, if they're getting something other than what they expect, particularly if it's um, if it's not something that they want or someone that is not performing to the degree to which they want, then they need to reassess if they've got an issue of clarity, motivation or capability. Um, so essentially what I'm saying there is does, does the person know what's expected of them? So mm. that's the clarity piece. Mm. And if they do, we can confidently tick that box then the next question to uncover is, do they actually want to do what's being expected? And if they know what's expected and they're saying that they want to do it, but yet you're still not getting the outcomes, then, then the third thing is looking at, can they actually do it? Mm. Um, so are there any barriers? Is there a skill barrier? Is there another work functional barrier um, that is preventing? So... You know, you, if you've got it right, if you if people are delivering what it is that you expect the in the way that you expect it, yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I, one of the things that comes to my mind. I mean, we tend to be very open with our family, but sometimes we we're too open with our family. We might shout at them. My my son has got a boss who tends to shout at him all the time, and he gets very stressed because he's being shouted at. Um, that's obviously yeah. not a good. Uh, trait to be in, in a, as a manager, is it? No, and uh, that's a great example, Julian, of leaders and including business owners being aware of what um, uh, culturally how their family operates mm. and where where those are strengths and where they may be things that they either need to modify or employ people 
who are okay with them operating like that. Mm. So my family are not shouters. So uh, to be in a a family environment where someone is doing that is, um, it's not, it's really loud and it's really Mm. uncomfortable. So, so that's what I mean about the ambiguity. And I think that like I'm a, I'm a business owner and, and it is a family business, but you need to remember what role you're playing. And when when I'm in the HR CEO role, it's got to be conscious choices mm. versus when I'm at home and I'm a wife and I'm a mother and I'm a daughter and I'm a sister. Yeah. Um, they're two different roles. Yeah. And, yeah. Great. Well, thanks so, very much. Thanks very much for your time today. And oh, we'll pleasure, have a, Julian. We'll have a chat with you again another time. You have a great afternoon. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Lindor Fogarty there helping us to um, look at some of those, what, what do we mean by family values. And you're listening to Business, The Law and You on 2NURFM. Time to pop over and have a chat with Christina. Good afternoon, Christina. Good afternoon, Julian. How are you? I'm very well. You're sitting quietly in a library in Sydney somewhere. I and, am. And you were very passionate earlier about creativity. So let's talk about creativity in my business. So what is creativity in business? And this is an age-old um, academic, non-academic argument that's been going on. So what we're going to do is just clarify that creativity in business is the act of trying something new and imaginative and putting those ideas into reality. So let's just call the ideation part of it one thing, but it's not actually the creativity process unless it finds its reality. We all know how great ideas um, are great ideas, but they're fantastic outcomes if you can ground them in reality. So creativity is perceiving things in new ways, it's finding hidden patterns, it's making connections. So I thought what we might do is actually discuss how some businesses have brought creativity into their organisations for the benefit of the organisation that potentially um, had the capacity to to fade into nothing. So we all know that Australia Post at some point um, was in quite a bit of trouble. They, Mm. you know, they, they had to reinvent themselves. People weren't sending letters. Um, the, the internet was, was a much faster way of communication. Mobile phones meant that we could communicate instantly by telephone as well. That's a conversation for another day. I have done so much business today on the phone while walking around as opposed to waiting for people to respond to emails. But anyway, back yeah. to creativity and Australia Post. So Australia Post, as we know, have now expanded what they do to include, you know, you can go there and buy stationery, <clears throat> battery mm. charges. You can buy, um, you can buy mobile phone um, packs, etc. But the biggest thing that they did was have a look around and go, all things, so many products are now being sold on the internet. And that has created a huge um, opportunity delivery. in the market for parcel delivery, yeah. yeah. But it's not a, so one of the problems with parcel delivery is that if you deliver something to, to my house and I'm not there, um, and then I miss you two or three times, my article could potentially go back to, to the distributor. Yeah. So what, what, um, Australia Post have also done, um, apart from, you know, come and sign in, do you want us to leave it anywhere else? Here's, you know, you can track your device, we can send it to a different address, etc. which is, examples of being agile and flexible um, in the business model. But they've also got storage boxes. So if I live um, not too far from a post office uh, and that I have trouble getting there within business hours, 
I can hire a, a, um, a storage box and I can just hire it, you know, for the 24 hours that the okay. parcel's going to be there, wow. punch, my, punch my code in, go and pick up my article. So oh. it's this constant reinvention, constant creativity, constant perceiving things in new ways um, and finding what hidden patterns and connections are. So there's the connection between new business, internet, here's the problem. And the other thing that they are doing is... Uh Da- uh, collecting a lot of data on that because uh, I ordered a book in the mail the other day and when it after it arrived I got an email back from Australia Post asking me to complete a questionnaire and the questionnaire went, went through uh, um, uh, did I allow it to be left on my step or not or was I home at the time uh, what sort of reception did I get from the, uh, the post person that delivered it and they collected quite a lot of information about that delivery yeah, and that, that the data that we're collecting oh. now leads to business potentials um, into the future. So some some other opportunities that I that I have found in business that I thought were quite creative. Um, there's an organisation called Go Cycle, and they've got um, what they're calling a, a foldable electric bike. So if you live mm. somewhere hilly, um, but you also live a long way away from you know work, you can actually fold this carbon bike up. But they sell for around two and a half thousand dollars. But as we know, the more popular things become, um, the the more they demonetize. Yeah. That's right. So, the, you know, GoCycle have got a foldable carbon electric bike. That means that if I'm if I live somewhere that's hilly, or if my work is in a hilly area, and I can fold the bike up, put it on a train, um, unfold it. Ride, ride a particular distance, but then there's a huge hill. I turn on the electric part component of the bike. So we've kind of got um, a mode of transport that is really flexible uh, that is going to, you know, also add to the diminishing mm. um, presence of cars on our roads, which mm. can only be a, a good thing, can't it? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, other things were like things like the recycling, recyclable high-end fashion. So we all know that, you know, we, we have um, bags that we give to the Red Cross or the Smith family or other charitable organisations. But instead of, um, you know, there's a whole thing around sustainable fashion now. So who's going to wear an outfit? You know, a celebrity might wear an outfit once or twice, although there's a lot more celebrities on the fashion bandwagon now. And they're they're going, well, no, we're not going to wear a new outfit every time we go to a gala event. We're going to actually wear the same outfit a few times because that's sustainable. So that's one change in itself. But we've also got people um, hiring out high-end fashion labels. So, Mm. you know, why am I going to go and buy a Gucci bag, even though I wouldn't, but why would I buy a Gucci bag when I can go and hire it for an occasion and give it back at a much lower cost? It's all about looking for those little extra niches, isn't it? The the smaller niches is probably where there's uh, some good income to be made. Yeah, that's right. And also if we're looking, so as we move um, further into the 21st century and we're finding more purpose build businesses and more businesses with social impact and wanting to, you know, wanting to lead the planet in a better way than, than what we found it, um, there's more and more opportunities for the creative process in the business to go, mm. well, how do we now become more sustainable? Great. Well, thanks very much for your time. We'll have a chat with you again next week. Look forward to it, Julie, and have a great week. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Christina there, we're looking at creativity and yeah, those opportunities are there all the time, aren't they? And especially some of those smaller niche markets. And you're listening to Business, The Law and You on 2NURFM. Time to have a look at our Harvard Business Review tip. This particular one, as we said earlier, challenge yourself even during downtime. There's no question that we're at a greater risk of burnout today than we were 10 years ago. One way to recharge is to schedule restorative experience that you look forward to. 
Making plans to play tennis with a friend or cook a meal with your spouse compels you to focus on an approach goal, doing something pleasurable, instead of an avoidance goal, which might be not checking your email. Approach goals are often easier and more enjoyable to achieve. Studies have indicated that doing an activity you find interesting, even if it's taxing, is better for you than simply relaxing. Sure, it's appealing to laze on your couch with a tub of popcorn and Netflix, but try to engage in something more challenging, like a crossword or a game of chess. Even though it's difficult, it will give you more energy. What you do with your downtime matters. Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. We hope you've enjoyed the program. We've looked at family values and business success. We've looked at creativity in your business. In a moment, John Slaven will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we're going to visit the tax world again with Chartered Accountant Tony Vidray. We'll have our minute on innovation with Christina and some more business and legal news and views that might affect your business. I'd love your company again for business, the law and you at the same time next week. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week. And as Beethoven once said, to play without passion is inexcusable. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.